it's your loss. I do it for my team. I got this. No Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Original Slacker Podcast presented by Round Guys Brewing Company. My name is Bill, and today we have a music mash ton discussion with Mike Brown. Mike Brown is a guy you've probably never heard of, but he's got a pretty cool story, and I, I'm just going to dive right into it. You, I mean, this guy lived in a van for a number of years, drove around the country to all 50 states, recorded with phenomenal, famous musicians, and then even got himself on a reality TV show by refurbing a church into a studio up in upstate New York. So without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Original Slacker Podcast. Today I have Mike Brown, a lifelong collaborator, musician, a producer, TV star. How's it going up there, man? How you doing? Good, good, man. How you doing? Doing good. So you have a pretty interesting story. I, I've never come across a story like this. For would you say you're a singer songwriter? Is that how you call uh, yourself? Or yeah, I mean that's how I. That's I mean, you how tell I stories. Every... You tell stories in your music. Yes, I don't write fiction. So no, it, it's really like six days for Sunday. It, it's a story. The whole song is, is yeah. telling a story. I think that's really great. That's compelling. Because you're painting pictures when I'm listening to your music. When I was listening to a lot of the tracks off of American Hotel, I it felt really like you know I'm listening to individual stories each track, and I love that. You got like a wild, crazy uh, path to what to where you're going right now, and, and to where you you've come from. Yeah, I mean, you know, the American Hotel thing. You know, I, I kind of wrote that wish list to people. I'm, that record started. So you have with, the wish list. Well, you have the wish list of like 150 guests, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's what it was. Is, I mean, as far as the, the beginning of that record, I I went down to Richmond, Virginia, to record with this guy David Lowry, um, the main guy in that Ben Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven. Um, I didn't really have a plan to make that record. The, the plan was basically to go down and just bang out a bunch of songs with David, and we were up pretty late one night uh, drinking and he went to bed. I, I was staying at the studio, this crazy old building in, in downtown Richmond. And, uh, I just, I was up in the office. We've been hanging out, we've been hanging out like pretty late, David and I, and I'd kind of thrown out the idea of, oh, you know, it'd be cool to get your, your buddy Emmy to maybe play some steel on something. This guy, David Emmerich left it. I just love the way he plays, he plays steel guitar. And, um, so we get him on that, and then we kind of just started joking back and forth about you know perfect world musicians that would that'd be cool to have on a record. And I went upstairs drunkenly to the studio office, and probably stayed up till about seven in the morning just kind of writing a crazy list. And the next day, I mentioned it to David, and he's like, "Yeah, you should you know, try and get a bunch of those people." And he, he knew a few people on the list, and that kind of got it started. Um, these are people like Andy, Andy Cregan, Bare Naked Ladies, right? Chris yeah, Ren- Brenna from Nine Inch Nails, Don Coffey, mm-hmm. Super Drag, uh, Eric Garth Hudson, David Charles Lowry. Uh, you, you had a pretty good lineup of individuals here. How did this? So you just sent messages out to them? Yeah, I mean, when I started doing that, it was kind of just a little bit. That record was a little bit before. I think you know, sort of the beginning of social media. Oddly enough, people sort of 
there was a window with I think MySpace and and kind of what was going on with music promoting yourself as a musician on online that people didn't really understand it fully yet. So there wasn't there was a window I think my my experience is there was a window that for a period of time a lot of artists were scrambling just to sort of figure that out. And it was also a time period where a lot of the people that I grew up listening to, you know, a lot of like nineties musicians were starting to have to take care of their own careers. Things were changing. They were trying to get that thing figured out. And with that, I think I, I kind of hit a weird window where some people I would call a bunch, you know, I'd make a hundred phone calls until I got a no. And the big thing for that, for getting to people on that record was until I got a definitive no that I knew was coming from the artist. I kept kind of like the social, the thing I'm going to say with the social media is people, people were a lot more accessible because there was this sort of new medium at that point to put your music out there. So, I mean, a bunch of people, I remember just sending a message on MySpace and I would say, Seven out of ten times, it was probably the actual artist that was just trying to get a music page up. The thing is, musicians want to play, and it doesn't really matter the level that you're at. And I've realized that over the years. It doesn't matter where you're at in your career. If you still love it, and you have some younger musician that's excited to work with you, they're going to want to, provided they don't hate the music that you're making, they'll be happy to play on something. So so how did you get them enticed about your music? First off, what's the year that we're talking about here and then how'd you what did they like about your music i guess well that would have been i wrote the wish list when i was probably that would have been 20 probably about 21 or something like that so it would have been 2000 2002 2000 probably about 2002 is when i started like the initial the first couple of tracks that's when i went down to richmond and then i really spent from 21 to 21 to about 27 traveling full-time and that the big thing was i thought it was a lot easier to go to the people that i wanted on it it it, it made it a lot harder for people to say no if i was like well i'm going to be here here and here and you're seven hours away from me but if i roll through there on this date and i find the room or we could you know i could set up a pro tools rig in your house or i've got that i mean i really kind of learned to record i'd made a bunch of recordings before american hotel but making american hotel definitely kind of solidified my comfort as as an engineer and I guess as a producer too because we did everything from you know world-class studios that I got you know a weird hour hourly rate because somebody canceled to you know duct taping microphones to the ends of broomsticks I mean I remember like Brian from Guster um percussion player in a band called Guster uh, we had a studio booked somewhere in Manhattan that he was living in Brooklyn at the time and the studio canceled the day of, and I was already like through the tunnel, going to pick him up, going to meet him for the first time. And studio canceled, so I had my little Pro Tools rig, but didn't even have a mic stand in the truck at the time. And uh, I basically just duct taped a mic to the end of his kitchen counter, recorded him playing percussion, and you know that's the way it ended up on the record. <laughs> and it's stuff like that that you yeah. just you know you kind of go, you, you just you make it up as you go, and I think working in the studio after making that record and, and starting to really produce a lot for other people, uh, you just get really comfortable moving quickly and you try not to obsess over one thing too long and you just keep things moving. And I mean, that whole record is certainly an obsession and I probably could have stopped it before I made it all 50 states. It wasn't meant to be made in all 50 states either. It so you ended did. up just being like, well, 
all I've been 50 to 35 states. states at this point. I think when I got to around like 30, 35, I was like, you know, I'm just, why would, why would I not try to make it to all 50? Well, that probably tacked on, <laughs> that probably tacked on like an extra year and a half of, you got, so you, you're playing, you're recording in all 50 states. Was there, how long did it take to actually finish this album? How many years? Um, I mean, probably six, six and a half, seven years, something like that. And are you doing, are you doing this on the weekends? Like how, how are you actually doing this? How is this? It was, no, it was, I mean, I was a bit, a lot of people, you know, it always, uh, it bothers me a little when people say, I, you know, I lived in my van and they, what they mean by that is they lived in their van for like a week or two weeks. Uh, I had three vans over the course of making that record. And when I say I lived in my van, I was, by cho- and it was by choice. I could, you know, I could have crashed places, right. but save a couch here and there. I was in my van, I would say 200 days out of the year, sleeping in the thing and traveling. Um, on the road, a hundred percent. I wasn't in one place for, for about five years of it, I guess. It was, it was gigs. It was sleeping at truck stops. It was set, putting the guitar case up by the side of a building and playing. So I had enough gas money to get to where I was going. I mean, I just, I kind of made it up as I went and I got, I was very lucky that, you know, I met a lot of people along the way that maybe a little more experienced living like that. I mean, musicians and otherwise, I mean, I've, I've, I've traveled with a lot of interesting people. And, you know, I mean, I've lots of stories that are probably not, uh, you know, interview friendly as far as traveling with crazy people that are probably, <laughs> oh, they're, they're the are best probably stories. still out on the side. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got all kinds of crazy, crazy stories. I can't remember what song it is, but the, I, it, is in my better days, in my better days, I had no home. Now I don't enjoy the things I own. My twenties died and now I'm paralyzed from my heart to the bottom of a well. Oh, well. And there's something about like when you're when you're in a van and you have what's in that vehicle and that's it. There's something very freeing about that. And your mother is aware of every single face that stares, wondering what it's like to lose the same one twice. The leaves begin to fall. Guitars and pictures and a notice all It's left behind to try and make amends Now the circus was coming I've never had the luxury of management or, you know, I've always been anything around. I've never been on a label. I'm on a recording thing, like my, I guess, label, label thing, studio thing. All that stuff that I kind of you know, made up as it went because I needed a way to make records and put records out. And same with the touring, start making phone calls, you know. So, Mike, it took you six years to finish up the American Hotel album. And you're traveling yeah. around to all 50 states. What, when you're, how did you incorporate Alaska and Hawaii into this? These seem like the, the real fun ones. Alaska and Hawaii? Well, I got to the point where I did the lower 48 ultimately. And at the time, it's just like, well, I have to do it. Who's, so, who's in Alaska? Uh, who's, who's, <laughs> who are you, uh, who are well, you Alaska, recording with up there? So I, I flew up to Anchorage 
oddly, there was this guy, Stu, uh, Stu Shulman, who still guitar player. He played with like Dylan and a bunch of people. He was living up in Anchorage at the time. And oddly, I just got a message from him not that long ago. And now I think about it, I got a response to it. But I hadn't heard from him in years, and he just sent me a message. So that's kind of weird. But um, he was in Anchorage, so I set up a session with him at sort of like a radio station, half recording studio in this place in Anchorage. And uh, we did a couple of things, but uh, my buddy Soda, uh, that I've traveled with a bunch, he, he went up with me, so he did a little bit on it. And then, oddly enough, this guy, Tim Easton, the singer-songwriter that I love, was just up there on tour. So I sent him a message and said, hey, I'm going to be at the studio in Anchorage on, you know, whatever day the lead it was. And he came over and uh, the three of us put together the last version. Um, so there's a version of American Hotel, two versions of American Hotel on that record. The last version on the record is actually the, kind of the last thing that was tracked for the record. And that was in Anchorage. That was the Tishby State. All right um, on. So, so that ver- that version of American Hotel is Tim Easton playing piano. Uh, let's see, my buddy Smitty playing a little bit of percussion, Stu playing steel, and then me the the vocal and the acoustic, the vocal, the acoustic, the piano, and the banjo. I think are all live on that in a studio in Anchorage. So yeah, so you're out that's there. That's kind of why I kept that as the last track. Right, right. You're you're out there traveling around in a van you go through three vans over the course of six years traveling to all 50 states laying down tracks with people you've never met that never met you that that have cred in the industry they've been either doing studio projects they've been either doing actual forming or founding members of notable bands and you pretty much pulled together you know that's a that's a dream right i mean to me that's that's kind of a cool existence for six years. I'm sure the food, you know, you can probably bored of the food you had every day. Like I'm sure it wasn't high end, but like, you know, yeah. What, how did you relate to other people, even other people in the industry based on the lifestyle you're living versus I can't imagine that most people you come across understand what you were doing. I I just don't see many people. Maybe they do. Maybe I'm completely wrong. It would just be my guess. No, I mean, I think a lot of people looked at me like I was crazy. I mean, I think that part of the thing that maybe piqued people's interest even beyond the record is just like kind of weird the dude living in his van and traveling around. I think I think the further along I got with it, I, I do know that once I got to the point where there were like maybe for probably from like 15 people being on the record on, it progressively got easier to just send people here's a look here's a list of who's on the record right now um i'd love to have you on it as the list grew it got progressively easier to um to get people to play on on the record when did you start working on genocia so Gen- the genocia record i've made when i was home like if i was home visiting my family or i just needed a break from like being out i would come back to genocia now and I mean, this is the the level of weird obsession that I got into. Is that at some point, I'd come home, like to visit my family, and I would I would sleep in my van in their driveway, even though they had a room for me at their house. So it was pretty weird. I mean, I, I kind of got pretty obsessed about the idea that I was going to just basically like I was living in my van, and that was it. And I I really was pretty comfortable. It took me a little while to sort of. Uh, remove myself from the idea that that was just where I literally live. Even, even after I got the building, it was, I still, I mean, I, I, I go out and play gigs and at this point, you know, I can, I can usually afford to grab like a motel room for the night. Most of the time when I'm out doing runs and there are still plenty of shows that I play where I, if it's 
decent out, even if it's not that decent out, I'll go sleep in the back of my car. And I don't know why I do it. There's no reasoning behind it. But I think it's just, I, I lived on the road for so many years that it's a pretty, I think it's kind of ingrained in me that that's part of it. And there's something really, there's something really satisfying about waking up uh, literally with the sun because it's just pouring through a window of a car and it's getting really hot and you got to get up and there's street noise and there's people moving around and yeah. I don't know. There's now, did something you, very refreshing about that. Did you have the van all decked out? Was it, I'm thinking of, you know, Alex Honnold, you know who he is? Yeah. Yes, I had one really good van. Yeah. I had one good van. I had a Dodge conversion van that was really nice and I blew that up in Laramie, Wyoming in a snowstorm. Um, on St. Patrick's Day, which uh, that was, I mean, that was a bad experience. I walked, like, the highway was shut down, <laughs> and I was one of the last people they'd let on it, and I walked in a snowstorm with not enough winter gear, probably, like, five miles in whiteout conditions. I really thought, like, oh, this is, this is how I go, and I was in my early 20s. Didn't have a cell phone, so I didn't call right. anybody at the time. Yeah, so I just hiked into town, um, and then the second van I had was super shitty. I got, uh, so I went from having a pretty nice conversion van to having a, I went to that motel that I was at that night, got on their um, lobby computer, whatever version of the internet it was at that point, not very good. And I found on um, on Craigslist at that point, I found a, what was that thing? It was an Econoline, I think like a 1990 or 91 Ford Econoline panel van from a music store from uh, Steel Sound and Music in uh, Loveland, Colorado, I think it was in. And the lady at the front desk drove me down there like two and a half hours because I just told her my story. And not not, not knowing me, I could have been a, a serial killer. And she drove me down there um, to this van, bought it for like 500 bucks, hadn't seen it. And I talked to the guy on the front of and I was like, dude, all I need to know is this thing going to get me where I need to go. I told him, well, you know, like I'm traveling around, I'm making a record. My van blew up on the side of the road. I need something. He's like, oh, yeah, it's good to go. So I went and picked it up, started right up, and it seemed fine. And I drove back up to Laramie, and I remember driving up to Laramie and thinking, man, the thing pulls hard right really pretty bad. But I didn't think too much of it other than, like, okay, I got a way to get around now. So loaded up all my old stuff out of my first van, drove to um, Telluride, Colorado. And if you've ever been to Telluride, there's a, a pass going down into Telluride is this crazy... Yep. Mountain pass yep. that if you if you veer off to the side, you're done. It's a drop. Yeah. One side just goes off. There's no guardrail. So I'm going down into Telluride in this van that I'd just gotten, knowing something's a little weird about it. Snowstorm, of course, so that's always nice with a new vehicle. And I'm going downhill, and it keeps pulling to the right. Every time I break the whole thing with all my gear, just keeps pulling, and the road's slick, and there's a tractor trailer. And it kept pulling and pulling and pulling, and I started smelling like burning brakes. So I managed to get it like down to the bottom of the hill. I don't know how I didn't go up the side of that mountain, but I get it down there and got it to a shop. And I had a friend that was out there at the time that that, uh, that had a friend in town that had that had a lift. So we put it up on a lift, looking at it, and whoever had had the van before me, the front brake, right brake, rather than repair it, somebody cut the line off of it and took a pair of vice grips. And basically gripped it off, took a little bit of wire and wired the actual, essentially the, the pliers to the frame. So there was no front right brake at all. And I drove it down the pass into Telluride with no front right brake. Oh, yeah. I guess you write those things. You, you write great songs. Though. One of the things with, especially American Hotel, you can tell has a 
definitive story character to it. When you're living a lifestyle like that, you're getting ammunition for your writing, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't write fiction, but when you're in some, you know, you can sit in a bar full of people that are, not, you know, I love dive bars, but you can sit in a bar and listen to people just talk and sort of exist with each other. And people don't mean to be poetic, but if you listen to any group of people just yell at each other long enough, you're going to hear little one-liners that say, man, that's wonderful. And I was out in, uh, in Hollywood one night with my buddy Soda, and we were very drunk, and there was an ex- uh, empty, uh, probably an empty 12-pack, I would imagine, just sitting on the side of the road, but just an empty 12-pack of beer. I was super drunk and in my 20s and being an idiot, and I, I kicked this thing up into the air, and it landed out the middle of the fucking road on Fairfax. And dead in the middle of the road, right as it hits the road and the glass is shattering and shimmering, cop car comes flying around the corner. And uh, yeah. me being drunk and, and, you know, of opinion at that point, they narrowed it down that out of the 10 or 12 people walking on the sidewalk, I'm the guy. So they took me and uh, they threw me in the jail in downtown, which is the, the Twin Towers Correctional Facility, which is a really pretty unpleasant jail. And... uh they booked me wrong. Uh, so at the time, my girlfriend, who was a lawyer, couldn't find me in the system. Uh, so I was in there for like five days without getting a phone call, without being able to figure out what was going on. I think they were doing it just trying to scare me. And that, that totally worked. You know, while I was in there, there was a guy that had been arrested and he'd been doing, he was involved with, with a gang in LA at the time. And he had, cleaned up his life he essentially you know i think he'd found jesus all that kind of stuff and uh he kind of hit the reset button had a family and he had some sort of parole violation something that was going on that he didn't do right but he was in there and a couple of weeks prior to that he had been shot by a former gang member so this is somebody that's definitely like in a whole other world of shit in his life, stuff that I don't know anything about, right? But I'm sharing a bunk bed with him right next to him. I said, so when does it, you know, how long do you have to wait? And, you know, you talk about poetry without being poetry. The guy said, well, the bullet comes out when the bullet wants. And I've never written it into a song, but I'm just (laughs) like, man, that's, so it's stuff like that. And it's, you know, this is the way my mind works. I got out of jail maybe a couple of days later. My girlfriend's like, are you okay? She's all worried. And the first thing in my head is like, can you, do you have a pen in the car? Do you have a pen? The only thing, because we weren't allowed to have anything in there. So I held on to that the whole time. Of, like the next couple of days, that was in my head. Well, and I was like, don't forget that line. Don't forget that line. Don't forget that line. I don't even know what she wants. And she don't even really care what I need. Baby, no, it's quite a lot. Every time you go, I just come and leave you, you down. You travel around the country, hit all 50 states, have some ups, have some major downs. You know, it's a give and take of life. You're you're on your own. You're you're living out vans, and you get to which came first, the Genesee album, or was it somehow finding yourself on American Pickers? Like, how how does that work? How did that happen? Well, the Pickers thing came out of, I mean, this building, really. Um, in the time that I was trying to figure that out, I was living out in L.A., I found this building. I was home visiting my family for Christmas and found this crazy old church that's 
um, like five miles outside of Geneseo. It was built in 1828 as a Methodist church, big, crazy old sanctuary, but an old country church out in farmland and all that. And the idea at the time was, you know, it was super cheap and it had been empty for a while. And I thought, you know, this is the kind of thing that I could slowly work on it. And over the next, you know, however long it may be, 20 years, build it into, you know, kind of a getaway, a place that I can get out of L.A. or wherever. Long story short, the day that I found out that my ex ran out to Paris and that part of my life was changing, I found out that my buddy Jay, who I'd become really good friends with from making the American Hotel record, had basically overdosed on sleeping patches. And I talked to him like a week before. We we literally had a conversation a week before about how both of our relationships were kind of screwed up and I was telling him about the building and he was making plans to come up here and maybe just help me with it a little bit and get it set up. So it was really kind of like a whole bunch of stuff in my world. Sort of just Some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, all at once. Yeah, all, all at once. I'm waking up alone again I knew that you'd be gone I'm sleeping in my clothes again Cause no one tells me wrong when will you be back, my love? Well, I guess you're just my friend I keep thinking I should leave But this'll never end The sun ascends You're in your bed But I'm awake and watching you I wish I'd seen that dull terrain That seems to push you through when you released Genesea, you did it in kind of like a, it was kind of a covert release, right? It was kind of, how would you call yeah, it? Yeah, we didn't really expect, I mean, we made the weirdest record we could make. And we just made kind of a weird artsy fartsy record. And then we made the weirdest package we could. And we really kind of, the time that I had at that point was like, well, I'm in this big empty building. I'm going to make this thing as cool as I can. I'm going to make this building as cool as I can. And then I'm going to figure out what to do with the American Hotel record. I got this space looking pretty good, I guess. And then my old buddy Soda, who at the time um, was out traveling with a couple different bands, he had mentioned to Danielle, who's the girl in American Pickers, um, about this space. And I met her. She had dated a guy in a band that I traveled with um, prior to that. So she had told the guys in American Pickers about it. They came to me. Um, and it just happened to be that they'd found a microphone like a week or two before. And I basically appraised the mic for him and, and taught him a little bit about to look for him. But my buddy said, like, you should do it. it. You know, it's a pretty big thing. And I I kind of had no idea. I looked at like one episode online and kind of thought it was just two guys in a, a van that would show up and we'd talk and maybe, you know, maybe it would get some attention for the studio was trying to fix up. So they showed up. And, you know, it's like a whole crew and a whole thing. I realized pretty quickly, like, oh, this is kind of like a pretty high production thing. So they showed up and they filmed from like nine in the morning to nine at night. And, uh, and when it aired, it was like eight million viewers. So sort of all that, I talked to Mike, um, Mike Wolf, who's the kind of the main guy in American Pickers and said, Hey man, you know, I actually have a record called American Hotel that I want to put out. He's like, you should just put it out online. He's like, you should put it out like the week that this episode airs. You know, American Pickers, American Hotel. I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. And uh, he's like, you know, if you want me to write anything for it, I can write like a little one-liner one or one-page thing. I was like, yeah, you want to do like a like a 
preamble for it or something like that. So he ended up writing, you know, kind of like a little a little bio for it, and that's up on the website. And we threw that up on the what MikeBrownAmericanHotel.com website, and uh, and put that out the same week that the Pickers episode aired. And when it aired, it was like eight million viewers. Even to this day, I mean, American Hotel. I'm proud of the stories behind it, but it's still there's a lot of failure attached to that record for me. I mean. You know, to spend to spend all of your twenties making a record in all fifty states with seventy five of your heroes, and then when I sell that record, I, I sell that record in a brown paper bag on a CDR that I burned one at a time, right? So that's American Hotel, twenty two songs, most of my twenties, and seventy five pretty well known musicians on a record. Then fast forward to being on the show, that's out of the ashes, it's sort of like just hitting the reset button and buying this weird old building in the middle of nowhere. And then the Geneseo record, that came out of essentially right after American Pickers. It's like, well, we can finish. American Hotel's out now. It's online. That's good. It exists. And I can feel good that it, like people can know about it now. And I got some attention because of the American Pickers. So people at least knew. And they had those stories attached. Nothing, none of this came with a check, you know? 
but and I'm still doing the same gigs I've, I've ever done. But I think kind of all that stuff, like you know, putting out American Hotel, which is already a record, but getting it out and having it come out in a somewhat meaningful way, is a result of hitting the reset button out in the middle of nowhere. You know, finishing the Genesee record, which is just a record with my childhood friend that got me a Grammy nomination. That's from being back here. You know, being on American Pickers, that's from being back here and not really doing things in any kind of normal, like, music business kind of way. Pretty much everything I'll, I'll ever do that I'll feel pride or success in will be in trying to find, like, the weirdest piece of art or the weirdest story that I could tell with a piece of music. Yeah, that was a pretty lengthy interview with Mike Brown, but the guy has some great stories. You can't you can't beat around a bush. Uh, every piece of his life in his twenties is a story, and it's going to come out in music. And it really does come out in music, actually, when you listen to the songs. I want to thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Original Slacker Podcast, presented by Round Guys Brewing Company, located up in Lansdale. We have three locations. We actually have a location in Glenside as well, the Glenside Ale House. We have the Round Guys Brewing Company, Lansdale Brew Pub, and we also have the Underground, which is right across the street, lower level, 408 West Main Street. That's where Mike's going to be playing. You'll see Mike on January 4th with a stellar singer-songwriter lineup we have over there. Uh, I don't know how much you know about the Underground, but we have some great, great drinks. we got some great cocktails. got some freshly brewed beers. It's a really great time. You may notice something a little different in this audio quality. It's because I actually am doing it the old school way. You know, it's it's been about a year since I started the original Slacker podcast. We're season two. I think we'll be finishing up season two at some point, probably towards the end of the spring, and then we'll we'll take a siesta. But but yeah, this is uh this is pretty cool. I'm running out of the kitchen right now with the old headset, just hanging out trying to edit this guy down and and finish it up and throw out a really phenomenal podcast for you guys to listen to and enjoy and and share with your friends i hope you can find out more about the original slacker podcast at facebook.com slash the original slacker or any of the pod catching devices you use go to apple Podcasts, spotify google play stitcher anywhere you can find the original slacker podcast check it out like us share with your friends again always appreciate the support friends and i'll see you at the next show you know that I would leave it all behind If I thought I could change your meth addiction But you're not listening So walk right out into the world You know you're thrice pretty Smells in one headlight.
Now 